wrong hands. Now he has come to the strangest place on Earth. This is America. We don't have enlightenment here. We have strip clubs, Las Vegas, and HBO. Got it? No. To fulfill the prophecy, you must learn the unity of opposites, immobile and stationary. I have no idea what you just said. He must find the one to take his place. What the hell are you looking at? You're just so damn beautiful. The one entrusted with the power must do anything to protect it. All you have to do is believe. Believe what? The laws of gravity don't exist? If you truly believe that they don't, then they don't. This spring... Who the hell are you? You should be asking yourself who you are. One destiny ends. We'll find the scroll. It's only a matter of time. They're never going to stop until they get me. And another begins. You can't do this alone. I can help. Bulletproof Monk. A little quickness in you, don't you? Ciao, my people, and welcome to our 126th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image, and more. If it came from a comic and had theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today with me are two great guest co-hosts. On one side, we have first-time guest on the show, Mr. John Seymour. Hey, John, how are you today? Hello, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks, John. Of course, I want to thank you so, so much for taking the time out to join us today. Of course. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Well, we're very, very happy to have you on for sure. And on the other returning and regular guest, Mr. Kelly Pippin. Hey, Kelly, how are you today? I'm good, Nick. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I hope you're doing all right today and everything's good. Oh, yeah. So far, so good. I guess we'll see how I feel once we discuss this movie. But <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's exactly why we're here, because today, folks, we are discussing Bulletproof Monk from 2003, directed by Paul Hunter. And fun fact, it's the only film he's ever directed, as his bread and butter is music videos. And he's directed such uh, music videos as Lady Marmalade, videos with Snoop Dogg, Justin Timberlake, you name it, he's, he's filmed music videos with them. And this film was written by Ethan Reith and Cyrus Voris, while the music was by Eric Serra. This movie cost, uh, to today's money, $78 million and made $56 million at the box office. So didn't make its money back. That's, but that's how it goes. So let's get to first impressions then. John, starting with you, what are your general impressions of this movie? So that's an interesting question. Because <laughs> when I watched it, all the way through to the end, I was not sure if it was supposed to be like a comedy movie with some serious aspects or the other way around. It was really it was, it seemed to me like it was definitely supposed to be more like, okay, this is a farce. This is not really meant to be taken seriously. But a lot of the movie did seem to try to take itself seriously. And I found it, I found it interesting. Uh, so, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun watch. I was, it, it held my attention from start to finish. So that's always a good sign of a, of a movie if, if it does that. Totally. I mean, are you were you uh, uh, familiar with the source material or, um, uh, or are you even a fan of like martial arts films? Um, I am. I mean, like I don't dislike martial arts films. I've seen a few of them. I, I did realize that it was 
you know, based on those kinds of films and it kind of added its own, its own flavor to it, you know, not again, like I said, not meant to be taken completely seriously, but you know, um, I thought it was, I thought it was fun. And, and I, I assume at this point that you, you hadn't ever read the, the comic from which it was based on, right? I tried to, I, oh. I tried to look it up I, and, and I couldn't find it. So yeah, I, I was only able to see the movie. Hmm. Totally fair. And, and Kelly, when it comes to you, you know, you actually were on the show last time and mentioned that you had seen this movie before. So, you know, on this rewatch and stuff, what are your general thoughts on Bulletproof Monk? Well, I mean, I, f- I felt like, you know, there was some levity to the movie. Like, like he said, he couldn't tell if it was a comedy or trying to be serious. And when you got Sean William Scott in the movie, <laughs> typically you're going to yeah. get a little bit of both. Um, sure. but, uh, but I feel like that, you know, this movie, it, I went back and looked up the comics and I had to go to image itself to like find them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it was like a pain in the butt to, to dig them out. And then, uh, you know, it was a short release series back in 1998, which was surprising because most of these comics have been around for decades and now we're just getting movies. But this one came out in 98 and all of a sudden in 2003, we got a movie. Um, the mm-hmm. comics were much more serious than the, than the film, obviously. But uh, I think that was because they were trying to appeal to a wider audience. But I enjoyed the movie just because, one, you got Chow Young-Fat, you got Sean William Scott, and then, um, gosh, I, for- I forgot her name now. Um, Jamie King. Yeah, Jamie King. Um, she's not an unattractive lady. So, you know, it was a great movie. I thought it Jamie King. Know, <laughs> I thought it was uh I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, you know, for, for what it was and and uh you know it's not a big budget yeah, Marvel film, so <laughs> you know. No, totally. And 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 when and your same question to you, are you a fan of uh, martial arts films at all? Have you watched other martial oh. arts themed movies? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I used to, like, my dad and I used to stay up late when we lived in Oklahoma. We had cable and we'd watch, you know, the Chinese theater at night and, you know, watch martial art films, you know, um, all these, you know, cool, you know, Temple of Shaolin and all these other cool martial arts movies. And I really got into them when I was a kid. Bruce Lee was stupid popular when I was born. So, you know, mm-hmm. that whole thing was, you know, that was a genre that I kind of got into when I was a kid because it was still thriving. I mean, it just started thriving in the United States in the early 70s. So all those films coming over from China and uh, a few from Japan and a few from Korea back in the day. Not too many, but um, yeah, I got really into the to the martial arts film and every kid on the block wanted a set of nunchucks. I made some when I was a kid. My brothers made them. You know, it was just a cool thing to do. So very true very true Um, and here was the very weird thing i had not seen this movie in a long time so i pretty much forgotten about it and then when i rewatched it my first impressions was wait a minute did kung fu panda just totally rip off this movie because as i was watching it the premise is very similar to kung fu panda i mean granted okay one could make the um the argument that it's the basis of a lot of martial art themed stories of you have the sacred scroll, you have to protect it. And there's, you know, it's been passed on from warrior to warrior, if you will. But I don't know why I just kept having the, the Kung Fu Panda thing in my head. And I actually went and rewatched Kung Fu Panda after this because I love that movie to death. But I was like, yeah, it's interesting that this uh, seems to have, and also there seems to be a lot of scenes which kind of, you know, 
are, are reminiscent of Kung Fu Panda, like the lighting of the candles, for example, and some of the some of the fights and some of the, the meditation stuff. And and I and for some reason, every time I saw Sean William Scott on screen, I'm like he is a little bit like Poe in his own way. I mean, Grant is more graceful, he's more muscular and stuff. But like, wait a minute, is Sean William Scott Poe and is Jamie King Tigress? Because I was like, wait, I, mean, it was, I, was, getting, I was getting really in the, in, deep in the weeds with this kind of, should we say, head trip I was on. But I actually, you know, this movie is not the, the greatest and there are way better martial arts films than this. I and, mean, you know, case in point, when it comes to superhero stuff, we did discuss Shang-Chi on this uh, podcast, which is fabulous. And, you know, these two are very, very distant from each other when it comes to quality. But all in all, Chow Yun-Fat is always a joy to see. Sh- Sean William Scott is kind of hitting and miss when it comes to me. But all in all, I did enjoy the film. But you could also see at the same time that this director had only had, had was used to doing music videos because there were scenes where it played a lot like a music video. And also some of the characters seemed like they were right out of a music video. So I thought to myself, hmm, okay. I mean, I did buy it. The story was compelling enough. There were a few plot holes here and there, which I'm sure we'll get to. But uh, all in all, I thought it was great. And of course, you know, you have to have Nazis because of course Nazis are the, the best villain you can have. So I guess, I guess it plays that way. But yeah, I, all in all, I was, I was happy with this one. I was, and I, I actually was familiar with the comics. And as you were saying, Kelly, the comics are very different. I mean, it takes itself much more seriously in the comics. It's much more of a Shang-Chi kind of scenario where the whole concept of martial arts and the whole spiritual side of it is much more, it, should we say, it, it's, it's stressed upon in the comics compared to here. It's like, okay, you have about half well, an hour and a half to do this film. You kind of have to make it a little bit, bit lighter. But yeah, I, uh, I, I was a little bit surprised when it came to that. But yeah, it's, a, it's an enjoyable watch. So, gentlemen, let's deeper dive into our movie by looking at our titular character, the aforementioned Chow Yun-Fat as the monk with no name, whom our listeners might know for such films as, of course, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, and many, many more. So, Kelly, starting with you, what did you make of The Monk with No Name? Well, I mean, you know, this is kind of a trope, but I mean, you know, it's like, you know, we see this in a lot of martial arts films where you get, you know, the monk with no name. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, this is playing off of like, I mean, if you've ever read the 300 comics or read those, you know, yeah. you, this is kind of that same trope that the 300 comics were written on. And, and those are immensely popular, obviously. And this series was in the comics immensely popular from image, but um, the movie, you know, people didn't really, I don't think they had enough of an audience, you know, coming off the comics to go to the movie for it. But, you know, that was my opinion that they kind of rushed this one. I mm. think mm. a minute later in life, I think it probably would have gotten a little more traction seeing how Marvel, you know, broke open the entire world of comic book movies. Um, you know, DC's tried to do that for years, but image is new into this whole thing. I mean, we had spawn from image and we know how that went. Oh, geez. and so this one, this one, I felt like, you know, Chow and fat, he plays a good mentor and he also played in Dragon Ball Z. If you ever seen the live action Dragon Ball Z, it was a complete and total, you know, crash and burn. But the point is, is that he always brings a, a certain amount of, you know, seriousness, but he can also bring that, that funny to a role and, and, you know, give us that lighthearted kind of mentorship that, that we saw in this one. And I've, you know, he plays his part as the monk, you know, really well. And then, you know, I, I guess if he'd have played it more like the comics, we'd have got more of one of his earlier roles. 
um, you know, the gun foo kind of rolls. But we did see a little bit of that in one of the scenes when he flips up on the car and grabs the two pistols. So we got a little bit of sure. the old Kyle Young fat, but you know, you know, he was playing this role as fun, and I don't think he really took it very seriously. And I, I kind of appreciate that because, you know, he kind of picks and chooses what he does nowadays, and you know, he's not really prevalent in the movies anymore. And and uh, I just I enjoyed his performance. I thought, you know, as a mentor and as the mysterious monk with no name, that um, you know, it really uh, lent itself to you know kind of his wheelhouse of things to do and just his character was pretty fleshed out for you know what it was oh yes very much so very much so and uh, and john what, what were your thoughts on our monk well so i did know that this uh chow chow, chow yun fat was a very popular martial arts actor um i did find him to be very interesting to watch in this movie because it was sort of like it, it seemed it was a it, a bit of a, a break from what he normally does like kelly was saying he has a lot of you know like he's 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 a silly character he's he's not like oh you know like i'm doing martial arts and i'm never gonna smile and i'm just gonna like show you how to do this and i'm gonna take my chopsticks and i'm gonna catch a fly with it and see like okay dude if you focus enough you can do that too um he was he was like a, a thorn in in Carr's side at first, which I found to be interesting with a with an actor like that who's always just sort of like I'm doing the kung fu and I'm doing this. And I'm, he was actually more of like an annoyance at first, yeah. And I found that to be really entertaining, and I was like, this is funny because it it sort of reminded me of things like you know when they put Leslie Nielsen in Airplane. And before that, he had just been a dramatic actor. So they were like, wouldn't it be funny to make him like a silly character? Not I was about to say stupid, but he's really he's he's silly. He's not he's not stupid. Um, and I, I, I did respect and I saw given the limited amount of time that they had in the movie, an hour and a half, hour, 40 minutes, whatever it was, that he did manage to go from being this you know irritated to me i i always enjoyed watching him but to this character he was like an irritation why do you keep following me would please just leave me alone to actually getting through to him with of all things a a hot dog and hot dog bun <laughs> analogy and he was like what the hell are you talking about but it's it just like stuck in in, in car's mind it's stuck in his mind and he kept saying okay, well, how do I answer this question? And it was brought up a couple of times throughout the movie. And then he find I mean, you know, I don't want to, you know, go, go to the end, but it was like, it, it was, it was fun to watch him harp over that question about hot dogs and hot dog buns, because this guy who just seemed to be just an annoyance was actually really, you know, wise. So that's, uh, that's kind of what I thought about that character. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm right there with you both because <clears throat> I love this guy. And if I ever decide to do martial arts seriously, I mean, I did do karate for a brief period in my life. But if ever I would, I had a the ideal sensei, this is the kind of guy I'd like to have as a sensei. Because like you guys were saying, I mean, he is silly, but at the same time, I think he, he there's a, that's that, that wisdom that sort of that he radiates 
that only I think an actor like Chow Yun Fat can actually radiate just by the way his stance and the way he does things. Because you know, to your point, John, he's not you know Mr. Miyagi. He's much, he's very very different from that. I mean, there maybe might be some some things that might be reminiscent of of a Mr. Miyagi kind of character. But I think he, this character, this the monk, brings more to it in the sense that. He has this heritage. He has this sacred duty of guarding the scroll and everything else. And I did think it was weird that you're guarding this scroll, yet Carr comes along and steals it. You don't even notice? Because, I mean, the, what, what kind of blew my mind is either Carr is that good or simply the monk is not as great as he thinks he is or is still, should we say, limited in certain things. Because we've seen this guy... You know, do be super stealthy and you know, uh, very sort of master of body and, and mind, but he doesn't under he he understands it like a, kind of last minute that car has stolen the scroll, and obviously then he chases after him. That's when we have, of course, that uh, that whole meeting between the two. But I love this character to death. I mean, probably also because I'm very biased towards Chow Yun Fat. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and uh, and all that. But uh, yeah, I, I, or maybe the case could be made that maybe the monk let him steal the scroll to kind of see. I, I, I got that. Imp- I definitely got that impression because it, it seemed like, especially when they showed like how he opened the guy's bag and like reached into it and took it out. It was so clumsy. And I was like, no, he definitely let him do that. For mm. sure. there's, there's no way he didn't let him do that. Mm. So anyway, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 totally. They're great. No, I, I, in fact, because I, I was wondering about that because maybe, you know, the monk had an inkling from the get-go that this guy is maybe somebody to watch and he might be, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the proverbial chosen one that's supposed to, should we say, be the next one after, after I'm done. And so it could be that. It's like, let me put him to the test and let me see where he goes with this and stuff. So it could be that. And I think he's very paternal towards Carr. There is very much, I think Carr has, of course, two father figures in this film. He has, of course, you know, the chap running the Chinese theater. And of course, he has the monk. And it's very much that not only, I think, sensei student relationship, but I think it's also very much father son relationship, the way the kind of tricks he plays on him and the questions he poses him. It very much gave me that, that impression of it goes beyond the sensei student. It's very much a father-son coming of age kind of story. I mean, I don't want to, you know, make this too deep because obviously we're not dealing with, you know, a, a, a huge you know, masterpiece of a film, but that was the kind of, the kind of vibe I got. And yeah, I love the fact that he poses these very sort of philosophical questions. Like you were saying, John, like the, 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 the bun and the, and the, uh, hot dog question which is very much like you know if a tree falls in the woods and there's nobody to hear it does it make a sound kind of thing so it was very zen and i love that concept and it was great fun just to see him in action i think nice sort of uh, hints to his crouching tiger hidden dragon days with all the various moves and such which was nice that the special effects i think might have not aged splendidly i mean there are moments where you can like maybe this guy was go ahead the, uh, the special effects were ridiculous. They didn't look real at all. So you you caught the wires there as well, right? It didn't even well, look wire. like wires to me. It just looked like it looked like bad CGI to me. <laughs> I mean, well, the the CGI parts were terrible. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. We, 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 got, we caught that one. But the, the, a lot of the wire work, I wasn't. I, I was kind of impressed with some of the choreography in this. The the wire work wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Because mm. I remember watching it back when it came out, and then rewatching it last night, 
I, you know, I was watching it. And I was going, okay, the CGI really is bad, but the <laughs> the wire work wasn't too bad. So when they used practical effects, it, it really came off better to me than when they tried to use the CGI. But and then the other well, the thing, wires, I, go for it. I, I'm sorry. I, I like the thing is with the wires. I don't mind being able to see the wires so much, hmm. just because. Okay, fine. You know, you see them. You could have done a better job of hiding them. Whatever. But like Kelly was saying, the choreography involving wires that are lifting people up in the air that it's that's remarkable that that they're able to do something like that but the beginning scene the first scene in this entire movie was just poorly cgi'd like you know <laughs> the fight between the student on this like flimsy bridge <laughs> and i was like oh i'm in for a i'm in for a real treat after this <laughs> yeah and then I, I i agree and then the other thing that i thought was odd was when the monk gets shot by Strucker and he and he kind of you know falls over the ridge there. I thought to myself, so he is bulletproof because he has the scroll on him. So even though if you just have the scroll on you, you you are ultimately bulletproof, or it's just that he has inherited the powers and so he's bulletproof. I don't know. It was a little bit odd for me when it came to that moment because you know we then learned that he has the whole scroll tattooed on his body. But when he got shot, I'm like hmm, I guess then the powers have been transferred to him. So he is literally bulletproof because there are the times we see him running away from bullets and bullets technically could kill him. So they kind of played a little bit fast they and still, loose with that. They still hurt him. The bullets will still hurt him. They'll still like knock him over and all that stuff. So like you don't want to get hit by a bullet, but I guess it just wouldn't kill you. He still did have the scar 60 years later from the bullet. Hmm. So I guess, yes, well, just, think, go ahead, Kelly. I think in that, Nick, so they call it Bulletproof Monk, but I think the reason they do that is because he can't die as long as he's carrying the scroll. That's mm -hmm. that's one of them. You see him get his arm broken. You see different things happen, and he automatically heals from that. And, you know, at the end of the film, the girl gets shot. We see she didn't catch the bullet in her hand. It came back out. Yeah. She was actually hit in the chest. So it's kind of like that whole Wolverine scene in, you know, X-Men where he, <laughs> the bullet pushes out of his forehead. I right. think that's what mm. at the. I don't think it's like I'm bulletproof. You know, I think it's just he can't be killed, and I think that's why they call him bulletproof monk. So yeah, it's maybe just more of a healing factor, if you will, compared to actually right. being, you know, like being Superman, where bullets just bounce off you. So I think it's, I think it's more mm -hmm. of yeah, having the the healing factor. A good point there, Kelly, for sure. So yeah, I, I was. We're talking, uh, we're talking about a, a scroll that has a tough everlasting kind of effect on you. So <laughs> you know. That just means that you stay young forever as long as you have the scroll. For anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, um, so yeah, it's you. You do have to suspend disbelief to 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 a certain point. Yes, good point indeed. Yeah, so all in all, I I did enjoy this character myself. So let's get to one of our chosen ones to be. Uh, we start off with Sean William Scott as Carr, whom of course uh, a lot of our listeners I'm sure will know from. The American Pie movies, naturally. So, <laughs> John, starting with you, what did you make of Carr? And I assume you were familiar with Sean's work. I, I don't think I had actually seen him in anything other than the American Pie movies. And who hasn't seen American Pie? And I, I was sort of like, okay, so they put him in this movie because people are going to be drawn to it. Um, immediately, like pretty much. Almost, almost immediately, uh, Sean William Scott Carr was on screen, 
and you know, he's obviously not the most honest person in the world, but they show him even in the beginning, he's still a good person. You know, like obviously if someone is caught on a train track, you're not going to be like, oh, well, you know, fuck that. I feel so I'm not going to help save this person's life. But then in like the next scene or the next day or whatever, he buys a hot dog. He buys two hot dogs and he just gives one of them to a homeless person. I'm not sure if uh, I'm not sure if that homeless person was someone that he gives a hot dog to every day. But I kind of feel like that's more or less implied. Um, it seems to me that Carr Carr has lacks direction. You know, he's one of those people in the beginning and throughout a lot of the movie, he lacks direction. He's highly intelligent. He's obviously very good with, you know, like he, he was he trained by watching movies in the theater and, you know, <laughs> takes good care of himself and all that stuff. But for some reason, you know, can't afford an apartment that isn't on top of a movie theater. Um, but I did find his character to be very relatable. It, it, if maybe a bit exaggerated in two different directions. One, he's just like, he goes out and what he does with his day is that he picks everyone's pockets. He just steals whatever he can. And then on the other, in the other direction, he's willing to put his life at risk to save someone else from the, the train track. So it's sort of like, that's, and again, the train track, I don't think is necessarily a good example because really who wouldn't, help someone who's stuck in the train track but then you get things like him giving a hot dog to a homeless person every day and it's just like okay you get you get his mentality you get what what he's trying to convey and he again i had only seen him in the american pie movies sean william god is a very impressive actor yeah i said wow like he 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 like this is a completely different character he's a funny you know, character, but different. And I said, well, this is fun. This is interesting. And uh, I thought based on American Pie that he was going to be like that. But they, I was pleasantly surprised that he wasn't. Hmm. And did you buy, I mean, the whole concept that this guy has become pretty proficient in martial arts just by watching martial arts movies? No, no, I didn't. <laughs> You 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 suspend your disbelief because you know that you know he. I mean, hey, look, some people are just naturally good fighters anyway, and it seemed like this character was one of those, and perhaps he was able to just watch, you know, in in as much as you know, I'm a talented musician, and if I watch someone play something, I can pretty much just copy it. I can mimic it, and I can do what that person is doing. Maybe it's the same thing. Maybe there are people who can watch martial arts on a screen and copy what they're doing mm. i don't know no, uh, to totally fair yes i guess if you're maybe inclined you know towards a certain tr you know art or something you know it can just be like you know i can i can see what you're doing and i can replicate it and of course you know we have had characters in comics which are like that who uh, you know recently we have uh, had that in the in the black widow film for example so uh, so it could be a case of like a la taskmaster where i can just watch you and i can replicate exactly what you're doing so i guess that's that's fair enough and uh, and kelly what did you make of car so i mean i've saw sean william scott in the rundown with Ro dwayne the rock johnson i've saw him in um 
you know, I saw him in multiple other films. Other and and I, to be honest, I don't think I've ever watched American Pie at its full length. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen bits and pieces of it here and there. So I'm familiar with his character in there, but I've never like just it's not my kind of film, I guess. But um, uh, in in the other movies, he's played some semi serious characters and tried to break out of that mold, and then he was recast into Dukes of Hazard, and that didn't help him any. Right. So you know, um, this <laughs> movie though gave him a chance to have a little more of a serious side. Um, and a little more of a, you know, he can still be playful, but he can, he can be a little mm-hmm. more serious. And, and I, his, his uh, concern for other people, I think, is what brings the monk um, to him in the first place. Um, like you were saying, you know, he gave the homeless, John was saying, you know, the hot, the hot dog situation, the girl on the train tracks and, and just different things throughout the movie that you pick up on. Because it seems like, you know, he's a kid with a good heart but he's never had an opportunity to, to go down that path. No one's ever opened that door and said, you can do this instead of this. Mm-hmm. You know, he made his way the best he could with what he had and, you know, grew up on the streets there and, and doesn't sound like he ever had a family according to him. And, you know, I think that's what makes the monk gravitate towards him versus the other brother monks that have been training for years is the fact that here's this kid and, you know, he helps with the girl on the train tracks. He's the only other person that jumps off the side to help. You know, then mm-hmm. he meets up again and, and he hands a homeless guy a hot dog. So this isn't something that you see a hardened criminal do. Right. This is something that, you know, you see somebody that's surviving do. Right. They they're having a hard time. But they'll, give what they have. they'll give what they have to, you know, to help someone else that's just surviving as well. And I think that's what makes his character at least believable in the in the fact that he may be the chosen one, because, you know, we're kind of bending the prophecy a little bit, you know, and when he says we're, he, he'll win a battle under the under a flock of cranes against many opponents, we're looking at, you know, mm. lifts in a subway tunnel and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> They're cranes, technically, I guess. But, you know, uh, so we're bending the prophecies around a little bit. But I think it's that I think, you know, the monk is gravitating towards him strictly because, you know, he has that heart and that that want to to be that good person. And I think we we can relate to that because we all have that want to be a better person or a good person, you know, and help the people that we can. And I mean, you know, that's a relatable thing. And I think that he pulls it off rather well. And Sean William Scott, regardless of whatever else he's played in, and granted, he's not, you know, an Academy Award winning actor. That's probably never going to happen. But he is, you know, a believable character when it comes to the nice guy, when it comes to the, you know, he wants to be better. And that, to me, he sells it. And, and, and I think the monk helps him sell it because he keeps giving him these little things throughout the entire movie to help him become more of what he should be and less of what he is at that time. Mm. Yes. Very, very well said. And I don't know why, but I, he, go ahead, John. Ooh. John, go ahead. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Now you were, you were kind of like, uh the the bandwidth was was kind of cracking up a little bit there um i was saying that as far as car goes i did find it interesting that you know uh, as per the question with the hot dog and the hot dog buns that he answered the question at the end of the movie and uh the monk with no name like yep you got it and i was like no because there's no there's no right answer to that question, but he's just like, you got it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. That's it. That, that kind of left me with a little, like, oh, all right. You know? So anyway, I, so you were saying 
Yeah, no, I mean, I was kind of scratching my head about that one because, like, I like this riddle because I like a good riddle and some of that things himself. What could be a poignant answer to it? And I do think at the end of the day, the monk's like, okay, fine, I'll give you that one. Go ahead. And I'll just go on my merry way. But uh, yeah, I, I did like Sean William Scott. I mean, I'm not a particular fan of the American Pie films myself. I very much got the vibe of a Ryan Reynolds kind of character. I mean, I think had Sean Scott not played this, I could have seen Ryan Reynolds do this, this uh, play this role because it is very much in his wheelhouse because you have the very much the, uh, should we say, self-deprecating, very sort of, um, you know, always always has a comeback line, uh, of course, is, is, is an attractive guy and is always kind of flirting with the ladies and what have you. So, I very much I'm like, yeah, you could have definitely had Ryan Reynolds had had Sean William Scott you know, not done this. But but kudos to Sean William Scott for doing this, doing such a great job with this character, because granted, we don't get too much of Carr's backstory. But I think we get enough, like you guys were saying, to understand that, yes, this guy probably has never known family except for the chap who's, who took him in and has him like work at the Chinese theater and kind of gives him bed and board, if you will. But other than that, uh, he, you know, he seems a very, he's, he's very lonely. And I think he kind of hides that, maybe that sadness in his, in his hilarity and cracking jokes. And of course, you tried to make an extra dollar by picking pockets, which, you know, we definitely don't endorse on this podcast, but I get that he's, he's a desperate man and he's obviously trying to, uh, make a living because he doesn't know any better and nobody's possibly ever taken a chance on him. And that's probably why he's almost like surprised that the monk who at first, you know, to your point that you made earlier, John mm. is more of a hindrance at first, but then he's like, why is this guy so interested in me? Maybe he's not used to anybody kind of investing time with him and sitting down and talking to him the way he does. And so I think it's a very new experience because he's just, you know, kind of, lived on the streets and made his living on the streets and, and such. So it's a very sort of, it's a refreshing experience that he has somebody that he can relate to and that he can talk to. And that's why maybe they develop that almost kind of buddy cop situation where at first, like, you know, there are odds initially, but they'll become friends by the end of the film, which is ostensibly what happens. And, uh, and I love that how, how much Carl grows also as a person, as this film progresses and then becomes the chosen one because i'm like when i first saw him I'm like i don't know monk if this guy is the right right man for the job because if you give him all these powers i don't know you know he's a little bit misguided i don't know what he will do with it if he will do something crazy but by movie's end you can tell yes he does have a, 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 a good heart and he's just misguided you know and has just had to out of desperation do what he does but yeah i i bought this character and i think i thought it was it was great and I, I also like the fact that um, the kind of flirtation that him and Jade have throughout the film is like, oh, yeah, she's clearly into me and all this kind of thing. And yes, he yeah. does. He does get the girl by movie's end because you have to have a makeout scene by the end of this film. But <laughs> I was like, I um, love of course, of course you do. Yeah, exactly. Because I was like, you know, first off, it's like, oh, yeah, she clearly I'm clearly going to get this girl. You know, we, we, I'm going to we're going to we're going to make something of this. But um I did like how at first his sort of cockiness, you know, where it did not pay off as he hoped it would. Because like, oh, yeah, I'm going to steal this uh, this jade of hers and she's going to come and come looking for it. And of course, I'll, you know, we'll be uh, we'll be in bed before the day is out. <laughs> but I, I love Absolutely. that. Uh, That's how it happens. Exactly. You know, I, I, do have, I do have one other thing uh, to say, because we, we keep getting on how uh, Carr is a good person. And like you see it in these like, you know, one action or another, and like, you no, know, like his, also his relationship with the with the movie 
theater owner. Mm-hmm. He's obviously a very important friend to him and all that. Um, but I would say that they were not trying to make it subtle that mm-hmm. he's been a good person all along. Like from the start of the movie, you can tell he's a good person. And what I what I mean by that is if you've seen um, the, the, the Grinch movie with Jim Carrey, mm-hmm. at the beginning, he comes down and he like, you know, pretends to be someone else. And the little girl like falls into the machine and she's like about to get crushed to death. And she's like, help me, help me. And he's like, oh, you know, like he rolls his eyes and like pulls her out where that's like, that's a lot more, that's a lot more subtle. It's like, you know, there is, there is a good heart in there somewhere where he's like, oh, all right, fine. I'll guess I'll save you because, you know, I shouldn't let you die. Whereas this guy is, you know, he, he has not, he doesn't have a lot of interpersonal relationships, but the ones that he does have are very important to him so he's you know he's, he's good in that way mm-hmm. yeah I, maybe he's very selective with those he trusts probably also being you know the situation right. he's in he's like i can't trust anyone i can't befriend everybody i can't you know so sort of let my walls down when it comes to anybody who like protect you know uh, shows friendship towards me so it could be that he's maybe guarded as well it could be it could be that too so let's then get to the love interest, gentlemen, and the second chosen one, because we don't have one chosen one in this film. We have two. So in this case, of course, we're talking about Jamie King as Jade Kerensky, whom our listeners might know for Pearl Harbor, of course, and Sin City. So, Kelly, starting with you, what did you make of Jade? So I got to say, this was not her best performance ever. Okay. Um, it was a little flat. I mean... She got her point across, but I mean, you know, granted, I think she was still, I don't think she had been in a lot of movies yet when, when this movie first came out. I think out, she'd so. just been in Pearl Harbor when this film came yeah. out. Yeah. So I think she was running off the back of Pearl Harbor and, and working on that. Um, I, you know, I've always enjoyed her in her other roles and stuff, but I mean, this one just kind of felt like she, I don't know, she didn't phone it in, but she also, I don't think she put as much effort into it as she did, you know, like Sin City and Pearl Harbor and all these others she, she was in, but I, you know, I, I actually enjoyed her in this movie and, you know, granted, you know, the little things that were happening through the whole thing, the monk is realizing all this stuff as we go along. Sometimes as an audience member, you got to play catch up. And when she drops the pipe and slides it to car in front of Funktastic, you know, you know, I, I'm, I'm starting to get, you know, you start to pick up on the little things and watching it the second time around, you know, or third time, I don't know how many times I've seen it, but I think I've seen it at least four or five times but watching it this last time you start looking for all those little nuances through the entire film and and you know she's got something to hide he's got something to prove i mean we're going on you know standard tropes you know that that have been in the movies forever but the whole point of it is is like it's you know she plays the the tipping point for him he's truly interested in her and his focus is on her and not everything else that's going on around him you know and the monk tells him how bad his plan is that he stole her necklace. And I, you know, I'm with the monk on that one. That wasn't the brightest idea on the planet, but you know, Hey, um, so, you know, it's one of those things and you just sit there and you go, okay, we're, we're going to play this game and it's going to end the way it ended. You know, they have their little kissy scene at the end and, you know, and you know, all that good stuff. But I, I honestly, you know, the, you know, you go into the second prophecy, he'll fight for love in the palace of Jade. So each one of them did something. So they helped win the fight together. He fought her in her home 
And then at the end, she frees the other monks. So, I mean, they've completed the prophecy kind of broken. And like I said, we're bending the rules here. But uh, right. she played, you know, a good part. And she pops up, you know, in the strangest places sometimes. You know, like she just happens to bump into him before, you know, while he's eating a hot dog. You know, she shows up at the movie theater and leaves a message for him right before everything, you know, unfolds. So I, it's kind of like a destiny film where you, you, everything starts over here and you follow her and him and you're, as you see them, you know, something else is about to happen. So, you know, there's no dragging in this film. I did like that. You know, we kind of get to the point. We didn't really like jump around and, you know, we didn't have. 10,000 flashbacks or, you know, Hey, let's explain all this stuff. They kind of leave it to your imagination. And she did a good job of playing the mysterious, you know, off the wall kind of person. And then you find out who she really is and you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, and you know, obviously, you know, cars kind of shocked. He's like, Oh crap. You know, <laughs> what have I got myself into kind of, and you know, and then, you know, we go from that to, okay, let's go save the monk. And you know, she's just all in all at once. So, it, you know, there's a little bit of that, you know, like John's been saying, you got to suspend a little belief here to get the whole thing. Cause this all happens. And, you know, like you said, an hour and 40 minutes, and then you're, you're looking at her and him and you're going, okay, does this happen over days? Is this a month? You know, you don't really get a time frame of, of when all this is going on because you really can't train someone in martial arts and all this other stuff and everything come to fruition. Like, in a couple days, it just doesn't work that way. So, but she played a beautiful part, I think, in Carr's development, and not only his development. I think she helped. I think his kindness is what helps her come out of her shell as well. And so, you know, it's kind of like they had to play the they had to play them against each other for a while, and I think that worked. And you know, it's not a bad you know it's not a bad way to go. And she's cute. So, I mean, what else do you want? <laughs> yes. Jamie King, you're definitely a very attractive lady indeed. And uh, John, what did you make of Jade Kerensky? Well, so I'm going to agree with Kelly uh, that her role in the movie didn't really like, yeah, sure. She had a purpose in the movie, but it seemed to be mostly to develop Carr's character. And I, I do before I move on, just want to say that I was very disappointed that Funktastic did not have a bigger role in the movie because <laughs> he was he was he was entertaining to me. I was like, this guy is like, he's just. What does that take place in, in New York City? I believe so. Or, yes, I believe it's New York. Yeah, New York City. This in a subway in New York City where he's just like, stay away from all territory. <laughs> and I was like, wow. This guy is great, and I want him to be in the whole movie, and I was very disappointed that he only had that one scene. But, yes, from the very start, before we even knew who Jade the bad girl was, before we knew that she was the bad girl, um, and you just saw, you know, like, they're obviously looking at each other, and it was just like, okay, she's the only woman in this group. You know that she's going to be involved in something. And, you know, he kind of, like, made jokes while he they, the dude was beating the shit out of him and they got into a fight and he was holding his own pretty well and you just see her kick the kick the uh, the whatever the tire iron over to him and i say okay something's up with this girl like something from the start you get that hint i was like something is up with her where she is not who she 
claims to be because this mm. guy literally just came into the picture, never seen him before. She hangs out with these people all the time and she's helping him win this fight. Like what? Okay. There's something, something, there's a, there's a disconnect there. Mm. <clears throat> so, you know, and of course he thanks her by stealing her necklace and, you know, to, to get her to come back and he can, uh, you know, so, so he can shag her, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't, I, I wonder if anyone really found her character to be that interesting. Cause I definitely did not. I didn't think that she had, she was an interesting character. I think that her main purpose was to, you know, develop car. And then when we find out that she's actually rich and lives in this beautiful mansion and lives, uh, what did the monks say? It's easier to live one real life than it is to live two, two lives or whatever it was that mm-hmm. he said. When he found that out and, and then, you know, Carr had to, you know, process that. And, you know, it, it was, it definitely seemed to me a lot more about Carr than it was about her being an individual character. Like Carr is going to, get the girl at the end car is going to do this and you know like she's going to show him this and it, it was really mostly about feeding car's character that's that's what i picked up anyway mm. oh no i i very much agree i think she was more of an, an an ancillary character in sort of like you you guys were both saying helping car's journey along and then i think that was that was kind of almost sadly maybe there's this the, her main function because this could have been a very compelling character. I mean, the fact that we, I did think it was odd that Carr did not question the fact that when he sees her on the street, she's wearing like these almost designer clothes when he'd seen her kind of like wearing the hoodie and everything else earlier on. It's like, did you just shoplift girl or something? Cause where'd you get those clothes? Cause, cause after, after the, the scene in the, when we see it the, you know, in the tunnels and she's just sort of walking around, she's always impeccably dressed and she's always, you know, got her, her hair super quaffed and everything else. And car first doesn't question. I was like, Oh, you know, I guess maybe she had, uh, she stole wardrobe or she had clothes before she decided to mix with bad people. But yeah, the, the reveal that, she's the daughter of a Russian mobster or something along those lines. I'm like, okay, I guess. I mean, first off, your security is garbage because two people come into your mansion and that's it. I mean, I get that the monk is good, but seriously, Mr. Kerensky or Papa Kerensky should probably update the, 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 the security there. But uh, all right, I guess I'll buy it for what it is. But yeah, I, I did get the chemistry between Jade and Carr. I mean, like like you were pointing out also, John, the fact that the looks they exchanged during the fight, I mean, it was, of course, that maybe sexual tension or innuendo because obviously the whole, you know, fighting and the physical act is like, oh, you know, these guys are going to get it on later. Don't worry. But um, but other than that... <laughs> it's like, I'll be disappointed if that doesn't happen. Exactly. Good. But but no, I I um I did enjoy. I mean, the character was a little bit flat because, like I said, the story can be quite compelling. The fact that you know, rich girl who uh, obviously whose father is, like I said, is a wanted man, and she kind of has to make her own way. I can buy it, but at the same time, I was like, okay, is this this is another story of the bored rich girl who wants to kind of live with the should we say the the urchins and the dregs of society because she has everything and she wants to kind of do that. But and it could have been explained a little bit better, I found. But other than that, uh, you know, she's. Well, I mean, go ahead, uh, the Kenny. Jig, the jig was up for me when she started speaking to the Tibetan monk in his own language because I'm like, okay, she's educated, so I mean, you know. 
we're we're not talking about someone. She shows up at a gala opening and then she starts talking, you know, what is it, Mandarin or something like that? Mm-hmm. And yeah, like yeah, okay, Carr needs to like reevaluate where he's at, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like it's like you can you can believe that she's good, but like like you know, uh, Nick was saying, uh, you know, she's after that first scene, she's always impeccably dressed, and she's basically she's only that street urchin in that first scene and all subsequent scenes she's like this beautiful like elegant woman and i'm like okay so are you are you like trying to ruin the the plot twist here like what's what's up with this what's happening here because it was really obvious you know (laughs) well it's aladdin think about it exactly it's princess jasmine all over again Good point. Um, but yeah, because you could have even dropped the complete, I think, you know, streetwise girl and just had her be the rich heiress who happens to bump into car or something. I mean, I get it. They had to meet somewhere because, you know, car is not going to be mingling with high society anytime soon during this film. So I guess they had to find a way for these two to meet. But uh yeah, that, that whole thing of, you know, we only see her once, like where she's wearing the hoodie and doing the whole bad girl thing where apparently she's dating Funktastic or makes him think she's dating him. And also that is a little bit nebulous because probably she's just flirting with him, even though Funktastic like, she's my girl and stuff. And she's like, you know, you're among my to-do list, but not at the top. And I was like, okay, so. I, did you, I, yeah, I love it. I love that scene <laughs> where she like, she like got him on that elevator thing and like, okay, see ya. <laughs> That, that was great. Yeah, the, the way she just totally left is like, honey, you're on my to-do list, but you're not at the top. So that was great. But uh, but yeah, um, I, I you also think about also that is, I guess, yeah, she was just she just enjoys maybe doing those kind of things, and she knows she has that power, and she will use it to to whatever you know ends that she has. Because the whole thing that I was kind of wondering was, okay, you are a mobster's daughter, and you're doing all this stuff. What is your end game before you meet Car? That was the thing I was trying to understand because we don't really get much of an end game when it comes to her. Her life almost seems to have new meaning once Car comes into her life. So I'm like, all right. And then obviously she she's the one who has all, all the great weapons and stuff, which I thought was great. They show up in the armored car and everything else. Of course, ah, uh, play on words, car in a car, very funny. But other than that, <laughs> other than that, yeah, this character could have been developed a lot more, and I think Jamie King could have been given a bit more to do when it comes to that. So let's get to the dark side of the table, gentlemen, starting with our Nazi granddaughter, Victoria Smurfit, love that surname, as Nina Strucker, whom uh, listeners probably might know from playing Corella Deville in Once Upon a Time, and is currently in the TV version of Around the World in 80 Days, starring David Tennant. So, um, John, starting with you, what did you make of Nina Strucker? Well, First of all, I want to thank you for for um, reminding me where I like it was driving me nuts. I was like, where do I know this woman from? And yes, okay, so she played Cruella Deville, and mm-hmm. that makes perfect sense. That's like the same character, pretty much. Yes. So, um, so yeah, I mean, she, I, you know, so I kind of like while I was watching the movie, I was doing so with the, with the notes that you gave me and you know all mm-hmm. that stuff, kind of like making sure that I would follow and make sure who I know who's who. Fortunately, there were, there were only five main characters. Mm-hmm. And um, 
yeah, this this woman, she I well, I guess I found it interesting that what is her that was her grandfather, right? Yeah. Who uh who who was the old guy in the wheelchair who turned out to be the guy who shot the monk. Yeah. Um I the one thing that was sticking out to me was the fact that she had a British accent as the granddaughter of a German. I mean, of course, it could happen anyway. You know, he could have moved to England and had kids there and then, you know, this and the other. Uh, and then they moved to America together trying to find this scroll. Uh, basically, all I really got was that she was she was evil. You know, she it's, it's hard to really put into words because. I don't, they didn't really seem to develop her character. Like, I thought that it was, you know, like Jade wasn't very well developed. She was fine. I didn't think this woman was very well developed, like, at all. I thought that she was just kind of like, okay, she's there to be the evil person. And they're like, you know, rageful, angry, always just wants to get her way because her grandfather is telling her. So I think that that was maybe one thing that I did pick up on was that she did seem evil and villainous and, you know, like nefarious, but it all came down to if her grandfather is disappointed in her, she was uh, disappointed in herself, I guess. Mm -hmm. So maybe she was, maybe she wouldn't have been evil if her grandfather hadn't been evil. I have more to say about the grandfather, but we'll get that. We'll get to that later. <laughs> Ooh, so that, okay. yeah, that, that was my, that was, that was, that was what I picked up on her. Mm, okay. Well then I, I shall look forward to hearing your thoughts on Strucker when we get to him. And uh, Kelly, what did you make of Nina Strucker? Well, I, th- I mean, this is a girl that's followed her grandfather around from country to country, chasing this monk. I think one, she's a little bit power hungry and grandpa's got money. So, you know, Hey, um, she kind of oozes malevolence though, especially in the, um, the encounter in the, uh, in the opening to the human, you know, the human rights organization there, the kind of gala thing that, that Jade was at. I, I think one of her best, like you, when you knew she was the big bad, you know, when she asked that question, would you rather be the one getting shot or would you rather be the shooter? Which and, is a very poignant you know, question. It's a very Excellent. poignant question. Excellent. But the way that she's question. Yeah. Yeah. The way that she put it and the way that she talked about it, to me, you know, you could feel that underlying. That's the thing about her is she may not have had a big part, but she sold it. Like you felt that underlying malevolence and that just whole, you know. And then when you see her meet her grandfather, she has this more, um, you know, passive kind of almost um, submissive kind of attitude. And Mm. he spent years just beating on her about finding this monk. And, you know, they've been chasing him all over the place. I mean, the monk says in the taxi when he's riding with car, you know, Hey, I studied under these gurus in in India, blah, 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 until Strucker found me. Well, obviously she was probably a younger girl at that time. And if she spent all this time with him, she obviously, you know, we, we, we try to emulate the things that we see when we grow up and, and things that we like and things like that. And if you have good role models, you know, you turn out to be a good person. If you have bad role models, well, you typically turn out to be a bad person. So, I mean, it's like, you know, she's been a part of this for so long that she just, she doesn't know anything else. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, she sells the bad person to me, you know, and yeah, I think she, her character, we really don't get any backstory for her. 
she's just trying to help grandpa. I agree with that. And, you know, but she does do her part. I mean, she does ooze that I'm evil. I don't like you. I want this and you're going to give it to me. And I mean, that's yeah. yeah. And she, she wasn't really her, the bad guy. She, I, I would say that she wasn't really even necessarily the bad guy. Strucker was the bad guy and she was basically kind of his right robot. Hand. Yeah. It's like calling it it's like calling a gun a bad guy. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. I'm pulling the trigger, it's it's hurting you, but it's just a gun, you know. So right. more of an well, accessory, if you will. Right. The right hand of the almighty evil, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the devil's right hand, whatever you want to call it. That's pretty pretty much where they pitched her at. And you know, I enjoyed her part that you know, when she choked out, you know, and killed, you know, um Carr's other mentor and his his friend. You know, I've I always found that funny that he, you know, he took a shot at him earlier in the film, says you're a Japanese guy, you know, owns, owns a Chinese theater, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, um, it just I don't know. She she does give you that malevolent, you know, feel and, and she does give you that. I'm evil. Here we go. You know, and that's I think what she, she was. She, just played it, she played it wonderfully. Oh, she yeah. really did. I, I liked watching her say the things that she said because she was very poignant she was very like you know watch like watch who you're fucking with and you know like it it was it was very interesting to watch this actor play the character but you know as as i guess we're all agreeing she's she's kind of like she's the one i i guess in the foreground and the the true evil guy is the one in the background Mm. right so sure no, yeah, I, I, I agree. She's a, she's a puppet, if you would. Yeah, I, yeah. I think so. Or well, maybe she's just she just drank the Kool-Aid as a child, obviously, because, you know, her grandfather being a Nazi and, uh, you know, him telling her these stories about the, the monk and everything else. And she maybe just sort of got into it. I don't know where her dad was at this point. And I suppose it was just a family, a happy family of Nazis. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But uh, and it's interesting that, you know, this is the nth movie where Nazis are the bad guys. But there's, it's very, very subtle when it comes to the whole Nazi thing, because we gather, obviously, that Strucker was a Nazi because Second World War and the, you know, obviously the Germans looking for treasures because we knew that Hitler was obsessed with the occult and, and what have you. So it, it obviously, it's kind of like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's very much a Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of concept where Strucker is like, apparently looking for these treasures for the third Reich probably is looking them more for himself than for the third Reich, I guess. But um, here I thought it was interesting that they didn't harp on about the whole Nazi stuff, which they tend to do when you have these characters. It's like, Oh, you know, the race will be back. The, the, you know, the, the superior race will come back and the master race will rule because we have this scroll. It was much more selfish and base of, I'm doing this for myself and you grand granddaughter are going to help me do it. Cause I don't know what's in it for her, to be honest, it isn't other than just helping her grandfather. It's like, cause my grandfather is going to be young again. He's going to have these wonderful powers and I'm just going to in what enjoy watching him take over the world or whatever his end game is, because he hasn't really sort of said anything like Nina, you'll rule the world beside me. She is very much his minion. I think I agree with you both. I think she isn't, yeah. She, she's helping him, but you don't know what her grand prize will be other than I'm helping granddad because he wants this, this so badly. And it was a curious and it was an interesting uh, 
thought that she sets up the uh, the humane society as a front for what they're actually doing, which otherwise was a rather clever little little touch on her part, seeing the Nazi atrocities, of course. And uh, yeah, she, she played villain very well. I, I bought into the, uh, the villainous side of her, especially the way she murders, you know, the, the owner of the, of the theater. And the, the, what she uses to murder him, I could not but think back to people being killed by piano wire. Because of course, I think that's why they chose that method of killing because the Nazis, of course, yeah. were known to, to kill people by strangling them with piano wire. So it's, um, it's most likely why they did that. I'm just throwing that out there. But other than that, I, I, did, I did buy Nina. I just don't get what, she'll, what her payoff will be if her grandfather gets these powers. My thought is he'll probably just move her to the side, say, yay, now you can go. Go back to England or wherever you go. And uh, (laughs) that'll be that, I assume. So let's get to our main villain. We have Mr. Carol Roden, of course, as Strucker, who we had met on this podcast before in Blade 2, where he played, of course, the lawyer. And in Hellboy, where he played Rasputin. So, um, Kelly, starting with you, what did you make of Strucker? Um, Strucker comes across as your typical psychopath. I mean, he doesn't care about anybody. He doesn't care about anything but himself. And, you know, there's that narcissistic, psycho, psychotic kind of, you know, mix that he's got going on there. And, I mean, he even threatens his granddaughter at one point. You know, he, he tells her, you are my granddaughter, but my patients are wearing thin. You're, mm-hmm. you're expendable. You know, so, I mean, this guy, this is your, your typical evil, evil guy. Now I wouldn't call him an evil genius by any stretch of the means um, because it took him 60 years to catch up to the monk, but <laughs> you know, um, you know, the whole, I, you know, I bought the, the, the whole thing in the beginning of the movie where he shoots the monk and, you know, he's, he, he knows what he's after. Um, obviously I think had Hitler known what he was after, there'd have been more of a presence of, of troops there, but you know, um, I think this was a, Hey, you know, we're going to deal with this stuff and, and figure it out. But he, uh, he, he portrays the bad guy fairly well. And I mean, he's driven by the single mindedness that we see a lot in, in, in different villains. I mean, you don't get it. Like we've reviewed a lot of movies over the years and, and, in you know, comics and stuff, but you know, Every villain that you come across that seems to be the most terrible is the ones that have the singular focus in mind, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's to take over the world or, you know, rule through chaos or, or whatever the case may be. This guy is, you know, I want the ultimate power and I want the, you know, I'm, I'm going to remake the world in my image and so on and so forth. And and we get that, you know, story from, you know, the 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 monks, you know, when we first start the movie, you know, he tells, you know, it could either be a utopia or it could be a living hell. And. And, you know, mm-hmm. this guy Strucker shows up and you're like, oh, well, here's the living hell. So, you know, <laughs> we always have this good versus bad and it's all about perspective. But um, he does play a pretty good evil guy. We don't get much of him except at the beginning of the film. We get a few shots of him as an old guy. And then, you know, um, and then at the end of the film, we really get our, you know, our our big finale, our big fight at the end and where Carr realizes his destiny and so on and so forth. But, you know, he does. He plays the really big bad in this and i don't know i he sold it as being the bad guy and being the the psychopath and the the guy willing to go to whatever means he has to to get it but at the same time um i don't know he 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 wasn't the he doesn't give off the 
the bad vibe like his, his granddaughter does so much. And I mean, maybe it's just because he waters his plants. I don't know. But uh, uh, and doesn't you know, listen to thing. Wagner. What's wrong with that? I mean, really? I mean, you know, hey, <laughs> but, um, you know, I just, you know, I, I enjoyed him in this movie. He's done a lot better films. And um, but I did enjoy his 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 part in this movie. And it, it did make. You know, it made sense, and and he he made a believable bad guy, and he made a believable, you know, the evil of end all evils. You know, I'm sure somebody else will come along now, but you know, as far as he went in this particular run, I think it was it was put together in a good spot, and I, you know, um, you know, when he finally gets part of the scroll and becomes young again, I think that's when we really get to see, you know, his tenacity and and his willingness to go to whatever means he has to to get what he wants. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, what I thought was hilarious was when the Nazis first showed up and I was actually watching this with my girlfriend, the Nazis show up and I looked at her and I had to quote Indiana Jones. I was like, Nazis, I hate these guys. <laughs> 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 I, I had to do that, of course, because it, it was very sort of Raiders of the Lost Ark when they arrived. But um, John, what did you make of Strucker? Because I believe you have thoughts on this guy. I do. I do have thoughts. And, and for the first time since I met you, um, what like an hour ago uh i'm actually i'm i don't agree with with what you're saying about this character that you know like yeah he was a fine bad guy he played it well and blah 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 but you know like the the granddaughter portrayed evil a lot better i actually think it's the exact opposite i think that his his subtleness or subtlety or whatever the word is Mm -hmm. was far more intimidating than uh, nina's like just outlandish like how dare you betray me how dare you go in my will whatever whatever it is that she says and it's just always sort of like okay yeah we get it you're evil whatever no this guy because he was so like he's like you may be my granddaughter but my patience is wearing thin or whatever accent that he has and i'm like wow that is some kind of evil right there because not only has he spent the last 60 years of his life, and clearly his granddaughter is not 60 years old, so he got her involved somewhere farther down the line. Mm. Uh, but he is also threatening not only his own team, not only the person who is trying to help him with this, but his family, his granddaughter. And I'm like, he's the one who's really evil. As was said before, Nina was just trying to like, make her grandfather happy and so i I, lord knows when he got her involved Mm. you know like she couldn't have been involved when she was two years old she she must have grown up at some point and he said okay you're joining me but every time you see him on screen maybe it's also because of the relatively decently done old people makeup but like (laughs) he looked he looked really mean he's like the kind of person where like you get that like sense of he's quiet and when there's with certain people you're like if they're quiet that means you don't want to be around them Mm -hmm. because they're like to quote hamilton a powder keg about to explode so you know i i found his character to be very engaging i found it to be like okay he is just, you know, while Nina is 
she's showing the frustration of people like not doing what she wants, what they, she wants them to do. He's showing the frustration because this whole thing is about him. He's like, I want the scroll. I want to make myself younger, but still not handsome. I want to take over the world and I want to, you know, like just make this world an absolute dystopia, you know? And, and he was like, this is what I've been after for the last 60 years. Ever since I shot that monk off the cliff, I did they did, did he know that the monk survived like immediately? I, I forget. No, or it isn't really mentioned because we just cut to uh, modern times where the monk is being chased. So I guess somewhere down the line, he yeah. found out that uh, the monk having the scroll on him made him, you know, invulnerable. Yeah. So Nina is the one that I had to say the least about. And I would say that Strucker is like right up there with uh, with Carr and uh, and the monk with no name. Even though he is so like sparsely featured in the movie, whatever time he does have on screen, you're like, I'm like scared shitless of this guy, but I can't stop looking at him. You know, mm-hmm. he's like he's that. Whereas Nina was just sort of like, all right, stop screaming. <laughs> so that's 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 my two cents on it well that's totally totally fair i mean yeah because we obviously have seen nazis played as villains throughout the years and uh, in various you know, shapes sizes and what have you i mean i mentioned raiders of the lost ark which i think is one of the the best probably portrayal of nazis as villains probably together with inglorious bastards which i absolutely adore mm-hmm. but uh here, I think Carol Roden is very good at playing villain because obviously, you know, on this podcast, we saw him as uh, the main villain in the first Hellboy, the good Hellboy, mind you, where he played Rasputin. Right. And I think he's very similar to the Rasputin character in the sense of the cult of personality, wanting to bring about the end of the world, wanting to do his own thing. And Nina is very much like the character who aids Rasputin in Hellboy because of course she loves him and she's madly in love with with Rasputin and what he does and it could almost be just that that maybe Nina is simply an acolyte of Strucker's and she's like oh grandfather you're so amazing I'll do anything for you and I would have liked to have met Strucker's son which I assume was probably raised by his his grandfather his dad to be a hardcore Nazi so it's like yeah as soon as your daughter's of age I'm taking her hunting for the scroll <laughs> but uh, it could be it <laughs> yes. could be that I I guess but uh, but no and uh, that's why I think he's very similar to Rasputin in Hellboy because that's what he's pure evil he's malevolent he he finds joy in brings in bringing misery and uh, death and pain to other people case in point the tor- the way he tortures the monks to get you know this their secrets through their thoughts with the whole water oh, thing yeah, yeah. that was hardcore i'm like wow man okay i get it you are a bad bad guy but also what i thought was was weird was when at the beginning of the film when he shows up and he's young at the beginning i'm like Wait a minute, he looks like the lead singer from Rammstein. I thought it was so weird. <laughs> he looked a little bit like T. Lindemann from Rammstein. I was like, okay, you're going to do a song for us or something? But, uh, but no, I, 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 joking aside, I think Carol did a great job in this. And uh, he, he is definitely very threatening. And of course, the final fight between uh, him, Carr, and the monk is, is great. I mean, it is a little bit cheesy in parts, but, uh, but it, it was worth the watch. And uh, 
yeah, he's just so driven. It's all about, you know, I want to do this. I want to do this no matter what. And I will sacrifice my family if I have to, to reach my ultimate goal. So uh, he is definitely a villain through and through. And I totally bought him. So guys, let's get to ratings then. John, what did you, what do you, what do you give this film out of 10? Oh, so it's, we're rating out of 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I would give the movie a solid eight out of 10. Hmm. Cause I would, I would say that it it's not it doesn't deserve a C range. So I would say B minus is probably the the grade that I would give it. Mm. I don't know if I would watch it again. I might. I might be interested in seeing it a second time. But as of right now, I'm I'm good with what I've seen. <laughs> so you wouldn't like be interested if they did a sequel or a remake of this film? Uh, maybe a sequel, um, although. This movie was like almost 20 years ago, so I don't know how good that would be. But, nah, I mean, it's fine. It, it's, it, it serves its purpose. I mean, it's, it would be like an Indiana Jones sequel where it's just like, okay, there's more crazy weird shit that's going on where they go into a cave and people's faces melt and that happens in all the movies. Okay, great. <laughs> you know, um, no, I mean, I would have seen a sequel if they had made it like a couple of years later. I would have I watched it. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh yeah, totally. And uh, Kelly, what do you give this? Um, you know, I'll give it six point five. Kick your freaky asses. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you know, I the I think if it came out today, the production value would be much higher. I honestly think they probably would have made it a darker film to match more of the comics, um, because I think they've come to the understanding that the 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 fan base of the comic is the base that's going to go see this movie, and they're the ones that are going to go you know, push this out to the masses. And, and, and that's, that's why I think Iron Man was successful. That's why I think, you know, all these, all these iterations of Spider-Man have been successful is because, you know, it has a fan base in the comics and it's us, no offense. It's us Gen Xers that are, that are patronizing the movie theaters and, and really pushing these out to our younger, you know, our children and, you know, our, our, you know, people that are younger than us. And we, you know, Spider-Man's been an icon. Bulletproof Monk, not so much. I mean, so making a movie off of it, yeah, it was a popular comic, and I think that's why they went ahead so quickly and made this movie. But I also think they were testing the waters with the director, and I think they were kind of testing the waters with some of the characters that they were using. And, you know, Sean William Scott was not necessarily at the top of his game at that point. That came a little later, but he was growing and getting popularity. And I think that, uh, you know, they thought he would be a draw, Chow Young-Fat would be the draw, and they would make their money back just on the people they had in the movie. And I get that. Um, but the material, I think what damaged this movie was that they they were a little off, not a little off, they were quite a bit off sometimes on the source material. So, you know, people want these, you know, these iterations of their characters that they've, they've read about. When they go to the big screen, whether it's in a book or a comic or whatever, they look for that that relation that they had when they read that book. And if you don't have that, then that tends to, you know, cause a film to sink. Would I watch it again? Absolutely. Um, just because I, I enjoy the movie for what it is. And, you know, like I've said, you know, in the past, when you mess with this particular universe <laughs> and you don't stay true, you know, then you, you run the risk of you've either got to do it better or you've got to be right there. It, it's, it's, there's no in between with these fans and people, I think missed that, you know, when they when they come up with these concepts and they want to do this. And granted, 
we're taking like a 12 comic book series, I do believe, and mm-hmm. we're cramming it into a minute or an hour and 40 minutes. And I think it would have been better served to have been a movie on the monk and then an A movie on the on the on the on the prophecies and the people that are gonna take over, you know. If we would have split that up a little, I think they probably would have been able to pull more of the material in and developed more backstories to, you know, Strucker and, and his granddaughter and, and Jade and all these other things. I think you would have gotten more of that. Um, but, you know, that's the thing is, you know, we 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 forget that, you know, we got to cram all this into a certain time frame. So, um, you know, for what it is, I'd, I'd watch it again. But is it my all time favorite movie? No. <laughs> but. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was going to say, like, you know, like comics turned into movies and all that stuff. Like one of my favorite examples of that would be like The Mask. I don't Mm. know. Have you ever read The Mask comic books? Indeed, I have. Yes. Yes. So, you know that. It's very different. Yes. They soften it up quite a bit. And I, I always wonder, you know, you get things like The Mask. And you also get things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which, you know, I've read uh, one or two of the, the original comics. And in the first one, I think 23 people were murdered in like, <laughs> like 20 people. I think that yeah, there were, it was just like, it's just a slew of murders because the turtles were pissed. Yeah. And then that turned into, you know, let's, uh, let's fight the Foot Clan at the end and save Splinter. Well, anyway, yeah, so... Yeah, that, that's that's uh, my two cents about the comics and books to the movies. Uh, I never understood why people thought it would be a good idea to take a comic. Now, I never read Bulletproof Monk comics, as, as has been established earlier. Mm-hmm. So I guess that was sort of to my advantage because I wasn't making comparisons. I was just watching the movie. Sure. So, um, but I never got, I never got it. You know, The Mask, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I, and I'm sure there are other examples of just like things that were turned into, I, I guess, much. I, the Mask is, would you call The Mask a children's movie? It's, Maybe, much, more, but, it's much more sanitized, you know, it's a sanitized version of the comics. Yes. So, yeah, like it's soft, it softened it quite a bit. You know, mm-hmm. like take, take a lot of the violence out, leave a little bit in. Just for just for fun, but take it out for the most part. And I'm like, why don't you just make another movie? And why don't you call it something else? You know, if you if you need to change it that much. Very true. I mean, I think in this day and age, as much as I love the original mask, you could probably get away with doing the hardcore, should we say, violent one today. Seeing the kind of movies and TV shows we're getting. I mean, I'm looking at you, James Gunn, with Peacemaker, or even with Suicide Squad. You could probably, I, I could, I could definitely see James Gunn doing the mask proper from the comics. As much as I, as I mentioned before, I, the the mask movie has a special place in my heart for various reasons and i mean i loved it as a kid but yeah i get your point john for sure but uh yeah going back to this i'm actually going to give this six out of ten so it gets a passing grade but i don't know if i'll revisit it anytime soon and i doubt my girlfriend will want to revisit it because she kept saying to me what are we watching what are we watching can we watch something else <laughs> and i was like my i have to sleep so yeah <laughs> there you go you're just like can't we watch the you know dexter again or something i'm like I have to do this for a podcast yeah, and, then we'll, <laughs> and then we'll watch something a little yeah. bit more. go for it john 
Well, I have to say that like, watching, you know, watching a movie like needing to to like you know take a couple hour commitment to watch a movie for a podcast, like you know, it's one thing if you're doing it as you know like a guest appearance, and of course, I would love to come on the show again, talk about another movie, whatever. Uh, I can't imagine having to do it. Like, I don't know. How often do you do this show? Like every week you have to watch another movie. Ha- Happiness in Darkness is weekly. Yes. And uh, Gold Standard is bi-weekly. So, yeah, it's uh, there are films I subject my better half to that she wishes I didn't. And she's, something she's like, <laughs> I don't know why I'm dating you, but that's, <laughs> that's beside yeah. the point. But yeah, she gets to watch her stuff, too. And there are movies that she enjoys watching. So it's uh, so far. So far, the relationship is safe, at least so far. But uh, yes, I'm actually, actually going to give this a six out of ten. I don't know if I'd rewatch it, but uh, but there you go. It's uh, and as I said, I doubt my girlfriend ever wants us to watch it again. That said, let's get to uh, recommendations. Kelly, did you have anything you you think folks should check out if they enjoyed this film? Well, I mean. It- Image as a brand. I mean, if you go read the comics, I mean, we've got Spawn, The Prophet, you've got um, Angel, you've got just a ton of stuff from Image Comics that you can go look at. Um, it is kind of hard. You can order the comic, the Bulletproof Monk comics from Amazon.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have time to order them and get them to read all of them. I just went to Image and 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 dug up what I could dig up and read the few that I got my chance to, to read and, and got the hint that this movie was not like the comics. Um, but, um, I hadn't read it prior to you bring it up. We're going to watch, we're going to, I've watched the movie. I'd never read the comics. And then I went and read the comics and I was like, okay, now I get it. I, I understand why it didn't make, make it as it, as it did. But if you do get a chance and you can find the comics, you can, like I said, you can order them. Um, go take the time to read them. I think it's just a 12 book series and it's not a very long kind of thing, but it's like the 300 series. It's a short kind of series and it's well done. Um, the art's great. The writing's great in the comic. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it was a lot of fun to start digging into that. So great. And, uh, uh, John, did you have anything you, you would like to recommend me periphery to this? If folks enjoyed this film? Well, one of my, one of my favorite things to see in a movie is when the two lead characters, two lead actors are like very different in personality, but still are able to maintain that like on-screen chemistry or on-stage chemistry, depending on the medium. So like, you know, movies like, and I'm going to take uh, just a random movie mm-hmm. from recent, uh, Due Date. You've seen Due Date with mm-hmm. uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Zach Galifianakis. Like, completely different, but they work. The chemistry is brilliant. You, you get a show like Breaking Bad, the two leads, Walter White and Jesse Pinkman, could not be any more different chemistry is incredible between them so i happen to i i'm really a big fan of that kind of dynamic um obviously first and foremost because it works very well on the screen it works very well you know uh while you're watching the movie it holds your attention but there's another layer which i tend to think about often enough of someone had to write the dialogue between these two like polar opposite characters and the, the, just the brilliance of being able to do something like that just always gets me. So I wish I could, I wish I could um, think of more examples. I haven't seen a whole lot of movies in my day, but um, yeah, well, due date. I recommend it. Watch it. Breaking bad. That's a whole series. Watch it. If you haven't, 
if you haven't at this point, I feel like you're probably not going to, but I recommend watching it. So that's me. Oh, I've actually recommended that series to one of my best friends. So I was blue in the face and hopefully he, mm-hmm. he gets the point because uh, it's like, stop recommending Breaking Bad already. But, uh, but I, 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 I'm right there with you. I think it's a fabulous series and due date is brilliant. You know, and I think it's kind of tangent. It's, it's well related to this podcast, because of course, Robert Downey Jr., you know, just uh, that guy who happens to play Iron Man. So I think it's, uh, it's very, very well, well pointed out. And, and to, to Kelly's point, definitely check out the Bulletproof Monk comics. They are much more serious. They are darker than this. They're grittier than this. So if you like dark, gritty martial arts stuff, you're definitely going to dig the, dig the uh, Bulletproof Monk books. It was a, very, it was a brief run. But it was a good run. So I will definitely, uh, definitely check out all the various digital platforms where you can find stuff. I believe also Comixology. You can get them there as well because Comixology pretty much has everything. If it's not on Amazon, it's definitely on Comixology. So, uh, did, you, did you just say you can get Bulletproof Monk on Comixology? Yep. I, I thought I looked on there. I don't think, but let me just, because uh, I, want, I want to make sure. I'm not going to say no. I believe so. It's either the Comixology app or the Image app because it depends on what part of the world you're in because sometimes Image stuff you can get directly from the Image app or you can find on Comixology. But um, it's... Uh, well, I know here in the yeah, States we can get it on... In America, in America, which is where I am and where Kelly is, I just looked it up on my Comixology app. Uh, it's not there. Okay. So, it will be the Image app then. Yeah, right, Okay. Then, so for you, you folks on the other side of the pond, you'll have to go to your image app. Whereas, yeah, um, I got mine through Comixology. So, yeah, obviously the catalog tends to vary depending on what part of the world you're in. So, so yeah, I I'm definitely very much recommend you check those comics out. So we actually do have some Happiness in Darkness fan mail from David K. Proctor. Hey, Dave. And he wants to share his thoughts on our movie. And Dave writes in, DJ Nick and guests. Hey, Dave. I thought I knew this movie. (laughs) Yeah, he writes, I thought I knew this movie. I rented it. I didn't know it at all. This movie will never be considered a masterpiece, but it was entertaining. There were some lacking points. I didn't buy the bond between the nameless monk and Carr. I get that the prophecy was why the monk was drawn to him, but I don't get why Carr bonds with the monk to the point of a lifetime commitment. Okay. I think Carr gets his skills way too easily. The monk didn't really train him. This being said, it was an entertaining movie. Kung Fu movies really are, are rarely are great works of art, but I've always loved them. I fantasized when I was a young teen of mastering a martial art such as Kung Fu and still wish I had the opportunity to study it. I did study karate and a bit of Krav Maga, arguably more efficient arts, but nowhere near as artful or graceful true besides if you really dig the movies eventually you'll be able to fly (laughs) nice thanks david proctor thanks for that dave that was very nice of you so of course dear listeners if you want to be like dave and share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here if you'd like to take the plunge and join us here on the show you can do so by shooting us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com once again that magical email is happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com if we show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness in Darkness, or follow us on Twitter, where we're at High Darkness Pod. 
Also, if you'd like to support the podcast and feeling generous, you can check out the great tiers we have going on on Patreon. There you'll be able to pick films that go outside of what are considered regular superhero movies, or even films inspired by comics like 300 or I Kill Giants or Death Note, or even films which inspired comics such as Terminator, the Robocop series, Aliens, and more. To check all that out, head on over to patreon.com slash happiness in darkness. And a big thank you to all our wonderful patrons for their support. So, John, starting here with you, when you're not here discussing superhero movies, where can folks find you? Well, if you want to find me on Facebook, I'm John, J-O-N, Seymour, S-E-Y-M-O-U-R. <clears throat> As of right now, there's a picture of the top of my head in front of a yawning cat face. It's a pretty unique picture. I don't think it should be difficult to find. Um, if anyone is in New York, we're playing a gig. My, uh, my band, Mad Tea Party, is playing a gig at uh, Casa del Sol on March 12th. We are starting about 7 p.m. And uh, I hope to I hope to see you there. Fantastic. And uh, Kelly, where can folks find you? Oh, obviously, they can find me on Facebook. I'm all over that place. Um, something like yesterday is the band page. Uh, the Veterans Forum is the page I use to help vets around our country and around the world. And then I um, uh, also have music out on uh, now I can't even remember the platform because I've said it so many times and I completely forgot it. Reverb Nation? Um, reverb. There we go. Hey. <laughs> um, totally spacing that for some reason. That's most, one of those days. Um, so got an album out on Reverb. You guys can check that out if you want to. There's also a song out on Spotify called Dry Your Eyes, Love Is There. That song, all the proceeds from that still go to the Las Vegas Fund for the shooting back then, 2017. Um, and then, um, yeah. Just check out my professional page, Kelly Pippen, on Facebook. Um, yeah, I'm all over the place. If you can't find me, I'll find you. Sounds good. Well, folks, Kelly, be... Kelly yes, I just sent you a friend request on Facebook, Kelly. Oh, absolutely. I'll get it. Awesome. Just to let you know. Well, there you go. And so... um, I'm sorry. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I mentioned this, but Casa del Sol, where, where I'm going to be playing on March 12th, is in Nyack, New York. I don't know if I mentioned that. So okay. there you go. Well, there you go. So it's Nyack, New York, folks, for, for Mad Tea Party. So definitely be sure to check them out if you are in the area. And of course, if you do want to be like uh, Kelly and John, and of course, be sure to check them out because they're definitely worth your time. When it comes to me, for you country music lovers, I do host the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. For more about that and where to tune in, visit our website, whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, feel free to check out our other project, Gold Standard, the Oscar movie podcast where myself and those lovely ladies who answer the names of Zan Sprouse and Rachel Friend are reviewing all the movies that won the Oscar for Best Picture from 1927's Wings to the present day. Also, if superhero TV shows are your speed, myself and Charles Skaggs can be found on the Fandom Zone where we're currently discussing the latest season of Superman and Lois. And if you are fans of the shows Titans or Doom Patrol, Charles and I discussed the latest season three of both Titans and Doom Patrol on Titan Talk, the Titans podcast podcast and actually got to talk to some of the folks from doom patrol who worked on the show it was a great great time indeed and speed things to come on this show next time john mentioned them we'll be taking on the 2016 dave green film teenage mutant ninja turtles out of the shadows 
that's well, how do you like that <laughs> exactly so that said of course when it comes to you kelly when it comes to you john i both want to thank you so much for joining me today and definitely look forward to having you back on the podcast very soon well thank you very Happy much for having me it's always an honor nick all righty awesome well folks thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us we will see you next time with teenage mutant ninja turtles out of the shadows until then stay super ciao my people